Itu ana hau ki te tukuki um, kia whakatauki um, pini kia koe uh, kamauta wihi. Uh, it's already awesome um, when we have someone who comes um, and is prepared to speak um, in te reo and open our service um, in te reo. Um, so uh, thank you very much. I really want to acknowledge that. And um, it is uh, a stepping out. Um, but I think um, we're, we're going to see, be, be prepared for what God might be doing in this space. Because uh, uh, my heart also burns uh, for this. So kia ora. Right, we'll find some notes for today, shall we? Ecclesiastes. I always feel I've got a challenge when I come here. Ecclesiastes. Ah, meaningless, meaningless. Life is but a mist, but fog. Who enjoys fog? Anyone? Someone? It does, it does. Now, I've, I've, got, I've kind of got two, two sides to this as well, because when, when I grew up, um, we were on a farm, and our farm had a little bit of elevation, and on, on certain mornings, uh, we'd look out, so we were in the Waikato, and the Waikato must be renowned for fog, right? Uh, and we'd, we'd look out um, across what would usually be the plains, and it would look like a sea. And I remember as a kid just being fascinated how just overnight the, the land had changed, and the, the hills and the ranges in the background looked like islands. And I remember just thinking how beautiful it was. And I think Justice has got a picture of that there somewhere. He's not going to go to sleep today, Justice. Um, so there's, there's kind of that, that absolute beauty. Uh, but the flip side of fog, yeah, something like that. Isn't it gorgeous? Uh, the flip side of fog, and we might skip to the next one, uh, is this... Night driving, if you're in fog, and for a while we lived in North Waikato, and we, um, there was times that we'd come home and we'd cross the Waikato River uh, over Mercer and um, head up to Pukekawa, and the fog was just so thick. I, I remember some nights literally crawling. We, we might be driving at 20 kilometres an hour. You couldn't see anything in front, and you'd be from high beam to low beam trying to find wind-down windows. And it, it, was, it was quite scary, actually. It's, it's, it's pretty horrible um, to drive in fog uh, that, is, that is that thick. So today I'm going to invite you to uh, come on a journey with me. Uh, and we, we're going to journey uh, into uh, the foggy valley. Uh, we're going to explore a little bit um, of what I'm going to call the Solomon Test uh, today. Uh, we'll have a bit of a look at um, the purpose of work. Uh, we all spend enough time at work, don't we? What is the purpose of work? Uh, and then I hope to land us up uh, with a little bit of elevation um, to finish us off. And um, perhaps we'll just sit, sit on a ridgeline in the sunshine and perhaps we'll just uh, consider what God might be saying to us. Because uh, I've uh, considered what God might be saying to me uh, this week. And I'm going to share a little of that uh, with you to, to finish off this morning. So I'm going to ask uh, that you turn in your Bibles. Um, on purpose, I haven't put the slides up, so if you haven't got a Bible, there's some in front of you, and we're going all the way to Ecclesiastes 2 this morning. While you find Ecclesiastes 2, I must say something of tests, uh, because as, as a teacher uh, myself, us teachers, we love tests, eh? Some teachers in the room, and I, I guess um, a, a test is, is evidence of whether there's been any learning that's happened. Um, I guess it would be similar to a salesman making a sale, or perhaps a farmer uh, sending off their fat lambs um, to the works. Uh, there's a real sense of accomplishment when you, know, you get back to the results of a test, and it's like, yeah, these kids have learned something as a result of our time together. 
The test that we meet today is an epic test, though. It's, it's crazy. This is not like a, a 30-minute sit-down test. Uh, this is a test of years, uh, decades, actually, that Solomon committed his life to. Uh, we, we're going to dive into it a little bit in these first uh, 10 verses. Uh, as we read through, I want you to notice, though, I want you to notice the word I, me, my, if you're really keen, you might like to take a tally uh, and see how many times the word I, me, or my uh, turns up in these 10 verses. Uh, that's going to be uh, significant. Here we go. Everything is meaningless. Pleasures are meaningless. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, we still our hearts and our minds. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would um, speak to us this morning. Open our eyes that we would be receptive to what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Did anyone get a telly? I, me, my. Yep, Rachel did. How many? 15. Excellent. I'm going to take your word for it because I actually didn't do a count myself. (laughs) Unless we've got anyone who wants to argue the point. 15 sounds sounds good. Isn't it a fascinating little uh, piece? What what an epic uh, test. Now, if you take any one of these things, I can't say that any one of them are wrong. Is it wrong to build a house? Is it wrong to uh, plant gardens or have uh, an orchard or a vineyard? Is it wrong to have uh, musicians? Um, No, none of those things are wrong in themselves. But when you start listening to the extravagance of um, Solomon's test, it is quite breathtaking, isn't it? Uh, so just, just uh, a couple of his massive projects, uh, his palace, uh, which I believe took more than 10 years uh, to create. He also um, built a temple um, for, for God, um, and it, it really was uh, incredible, the vastness uh, of his kingdom. Probably one of the greatest uh, kingdoms um, at his time and, and um, since. Uh, and I was thinking, well, what, what else would kind of relate to that in our modern day time? And I guess it would be like winning first division lotto. It would be like winning uh, $30 million. Or perhaps getting a phone call to say that uh, a great uncle has passed away and you are the sole inheritor of a massive estate. Even that I don't think would compare to Solomon's vast riches, pleasures and kingdom. But that might be the the closest connection uh, that we could possibly make. 
Now, you'd think you'd be a happy person, wouldn't you? There's got to be something in there that appeals. Anyone? It's all the world's is, is offering, hey. You only need to uh, watch TV, social media. There's a lot to like in there. Isn't there? No? Okay, well, let's have, a, let's have a look at Solomon's reflections. So the next few verses, 11 through 16, are his reflections. Uh, and let's, let's see if we have a happy, contented, joyful Solomon. He starts off, Yet, yet, I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under heaven. When I turned, then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do that has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man had eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will also overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. Any satisfaction? Any contentment? Any joy? In all of it? Zippo. Not a dot. Incredible, eh? You think, well, there must have at least been a good inheritance for his kids. Well, that'd be great. But actually, if you refer back to First Kings, you'll find that uh, while God appeared to Solomon twice, first, he gave him his wisdom. Second, he appeared um, when Solomon consecrated the temple. And that came with quite a warning around walking in God's ways. And First Kings actually says that God was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. So an inheritance for his kids? The kingdom, the 12 tribes, actually 10 of them were ripped from Solomon's um, lineage. There was only two that ended up being inherited by his, by his kids. So he fails on that score as well. It's all gone. I want to turn to Jesus now as, as a contrast, because, you know, Jesus also had the same test. You know, what? But actually, when you think about Jesus' temptation, and Jesus went into the wilderness, and when Jesus was tempted, he wasn't, wasn't king of, this, of a, a vast empire, not as we know it, but he'd been fasting for 40 days. So actually, physically, he was at his weakest and you can contrast that with Solomon. And there were three things that he was tempted by, and you'll probably remember them. Um, and, and Satan said, well, turn these stones into bread. And I'm guessing uh, a loaf of hot bread probably smelt pretty good. It was actually probably something of Jesus' survival after 40 days without. And next he was tempted, cast yourself down from the temple, and God will send his angels to look after you. Fame. All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor will be yours if only you would bow down and worship me. You think of Solomon and all his vast empire. 
in the earthly. And here's Satan prepared to hand over the physical now here and now kingdom to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Is he taken in? Is he sucked in by this test? He turns around and he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where was his focus? What should our focus be? Now Hebrews encourages us, and I love this little piece, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, not on the pleasures of this world, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's how Jesus nailed the test. He stood on the word of God. He fixed his eyes on the Father. I want to skip ahead a little. No, I don't. I want to come back to Solomon. Because, you know, Solomon... When we think that he should be, he should have been content with all all that he had. In, in the earthly, he had he had it all. But actually, when you look at the results, here's how the next. I'm not going to read this whole next section, but this is how it starts and this is how it ends. It says, "So I hated life because work that is done under the sun is grievous to me." All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun. Strong words, eh? And then down into verse 23. All his days, he's reflecting on man's days. All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. You might think Ecclesiastes is a bit of a strange book, but there's something I love about Ecclesiastes. There's something that's fresh about it, and that is the fact that it's really honest. It's real. The fact that here we have Solomon prepared to say, actually, I'm in this place where I hate my life, I hate my work, and it's just all completely meaningless to me. It's grievous to me. These are dark thoughts, regret, shame, pain, depression. But these thoughts, these feelings, they're not hidden. They're not sugar-coated. The Bible acknowledges the valley. A little bit like that, driving through that valley in the fog. This, This is a dark valley, and the Bible acknowledges that. I just wanted to share that. The next piece, however, gets a little bit um, tense. uh, Martin Luther actually describes this as the hinge of the whole book, uh, which is really exciting, these next couple of verses. Have a listen to the change. So it goes uh, from that last verse, you know, this too is meaningless. Then verse 24, it changes just like that. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? 
To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Quite beautiful, eh? I think there's a key here. A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. How many of us had breakfast this morning? Cool, right, so we don't need to talk about eating and drinking, right, you've, you've probably got that nailed. Let's talk about work, right, we spend a few hours each week working, don't we? And, and I must admit, there's, there's probably a few that um, look forward to retirement or look forward to taking some leave, uh, but here there's a little key, let's find satisfaction in our work. So I thought, well, let's, have, let's dive into this idea of work just a little bit, since we can all relate to work, right? And to be honest with you, I kind of uh, had thought that perhaps, uh, maybe in my head, I'm a little bit confused and thinking, oh, well, work, wasn't work a result of the fall? Like, isn't that where we see, you know, the toilsome labor, like the, the whole weeds and that growing, we get that picture, you know, and, and that's, that's kind of, as, as a kid reading the kids' Bibles, that's where I kind of thought, oh, well, work, work must be this, this bad thing, you know, something we've got to endure, something we've got to put up with until that 65, if you're lucky. Probably be 70 by the time we get there, won't it? Anyway, as, as I went back to consider work, I actually realized that God modeled work in creation. And if you go back to the creation story, you'll find that God worked. He created days one through six. And then on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. He set in place that concept of a Sabbath, a rest uh, for us. So this whole pattern of work and rest, it's not a result of the fall. That's the pattern of a loving father modeled by God himself. And as we spend so much time working, I think it's something that we do really well to get a, a godly biblical worldview around Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, what was their role? Stewards, to care for the garden, to look after it, to name the animals. Again, God didn't say, here's your lazy boy, sit down and read the paper, watch the news, I'll be back for a report. He set them to work. This concept of work is God's pattern. It's biblical. It's godly. And it was only after the fall that we find work becoming toilsome, wearisome, and hard. I love Colossians uh, 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I think there's, there's something about work in here um, that it doesn't necessarily matter so much what you're doing, but actually our attitude and our disposition towards our work. How much would it change your work if you had the attitude that actually our work is for God himself. What about Jesus? He's going to be a pretty good example, doesn't he? What was his work? To do the will of him who sent me. And you remember on the cross, 
One of the last words Jesus said, he said, it is finished. And in fact, we look at the cross and it is often called the finish work of Christ. Now, if we go into Matthew, I'm going to ask you to skip here and we're going to go all the way to the end and have a look at the work. Uh, Because teachers love an assignment, don't they? Jesus has got an assignment for us. And this is pretty cool. So we're going all the way to Matthew 28, those of you who have got your Bibles. And it probably won't be an unfamiliar assignment. So Jesus has completed his work. He has died on the cross. He has appeared to his disciples and he is about to depart to heaven. And verse 18 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what's the work that God is, that Jesus is asking us to do? I just had a look at the um, verbs in there, the action. What, what does he require of us? What's the action? Therefore, go. Go and what? Go and make disciples. Baptizing them. Teaching them. That's the work that we've been sent to do. This is not something 2,000 years ago that the book's closed that's been and done. That's our mission. That's our work here today, this week. So I want to suggest that perhaps the work that the purpose for the work you do might not be the real purpose. It is the work of Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the right words at the right time. Our role is to be open to the leading of Holy Spirit to ask him, who should we be praying for and what are the opportunities that he wants us to partner with? And I think this changes the whole concept. And I've I've always got a bit scared, you know, you get people starting to talk about evangelism, you think, oh my goodness, you're going to ask me to go and do something weird? Like you're going to ask me to go and knock on doors or give out tracts? This changes it completely. What we're doing is partnering with God in his work. It's not about us at all. Can I tell you a couple of stories? It's, it's funny eh, how you, when you, you, you step out, you step out to, to preach, a couple of things happen. One, one is weird things. There's always, there's always a bit of, um, can, can I say an attack? There's always a bit of um, opposition. And I, I, was ne- I was nearly prepared for today. This is off the side. I was nearly prepared for today the other night, and I was very pleased with the way it was all reading. And I came back yesterday to print, print out my word, and it had all gone was, it reverted back to a much earlier uh, version. Oh my goodness. There must be something good here. There must be something for someone today. Uh, but also, God opens up opportunities. And this week, uh, I, was, I was man in the office at school. Um, we've had um, some staff absence, and I was, I was man in the office, and um, one of our mums walks in. She, she knows I come to church. Um, 
So in, in my role, I've got, I've got to be really careful. I, I can't be giving out tracts or you know, praying God's blessing over people in the car park. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a job for very long. Um, but anyway, she, she, she knows I go to church. She says, she says to me, opens a conversation. Um, I used to go to Epic. Sometimes I'd even come along to St. Andrew's here. She's talking about what that was like for her. It was a real positive experience. Um, she said, oh, my, my child was away with his dad over Easter. And he was on his iPad uh, watching these Easter videos. And he was watching them through, these Easter videos after Easter video, until his dad says to him, oh, turn that rubbish off. Well, got back from his dad's to his mum's, and this little person declares to his mum, I believe in Jesus. Tell you what, I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh my goodness, like, are you for real? <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Had I done anything? No. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's, it's someone that um, this mum trusted to have this conversation with. The Holy Spirit's working in ways that we actually don't understand, eh? And uh, the other conversation that I, I was uh, part of this week was a, a member of our church, a, a retired person in our church, um, who, who prays, God, lead me to someone in my neighbourhood uh, that, that I can speak to, that I can share, that I can um, support. Um, and, and through that prayer and through those outworkings, this person in our congregation has led people to Jesus. And I was really touched by that. This is not about us and our greatness. This is about us positioning ourselves to be in a place. Holy Spirit, use me. What what are you doing? What are you doing around me? So what we think is our work might actually not be our work at all. Let's be open to the ways that God wants to use us in our place. Because I can tell you that each of you have a group of people around you that... I can't speak into their lives. I don't, don't have those relationships. Most likely Mike and the team here don't either. But you do. I'm not asking you to be weird. Just be real. Be open. Be prepared. It's pretty cool, eh? Okay, so I, pr- I promised you that we would emerge in the sunshine and, and just sit for a moment uh, and consider uh, what, what is it that God is saying to us through this piece in Ecclesiastes. So on our whiteboard at home, we write up uh, the catechism uh, for the week. Um, And you you might think, oh, this is good, that's all about the kids and they do their thing, that's quite nice. Uh, Actually, what I've found is that actually I have been challenged um, by the catechisms myself. And you think, oh, Ten Commandments, well... Yeah, you kind of know that stuff that's been around for a long time. You did that in Sunday school how many years ago? That's true. But revisiting those um, Ten Commandments and reframing them into the positive uh, has actually spoken to me. And the, the word across our whiteboard this week for the Ninth Commandment is that we should be content not envying anyone. And... That really spoke to me as, as I worked my way through Ecclesiastes. And I, I, can't, I can't honestly come before you and share if I'm not prepared uh, to be in a position where I'm going to look at actually my life and, and where, where I stand. I can't ask you to do something that I'm not prepared to do myself. Uh, and, and as I reflected on that, I realized that actually personally, I'm too focused 
on my bank account. I'm too focused on property, on things of this world, rather than being focused on Jesus. And being focused on things of this world robs us of our contentment, our joy, and our happiness. Philippians 4 is quite beautiful. Paul, he'd been through some valleys. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here's the key, and I hadn't actually read this together in this before, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You think, well, that's nice for a preacher guy. That's cool. But actually, Paul's probably writing this from a prison cell. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Justice said to me this morning, he said, you're not going to include us in your sermon today, are you? I said, no, look, I won't, I won't do that today. But you know what? I think there's something about a dad. And I think Solomon could have actually learned something from his dad. In fact, I think he could have saved himself the entire test. I want to go as far as saying perhaps he shipwrecked his life for his test. I think he could have saved himself if he had looked to his dad. Because as I share the psalm with you, I want you to listen And I want you to contrast that to Solomon's test. I want you to listen for the contentment. I want you to listen for his position, his relationship with God. I want you to listen for the valley. Because it's not all sunshine. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, does that sound like contentment, like peace, like happiness, like joy? It was all about his position, all about his relationship. You might have heard the saying, please yourself. Well, I'm here to tell you today there's only two positions. In the end Ecclesiastes, let me read those couple of verses to you. Ecclesiastes 2. 
Verse 26, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. There's only two positions, people. You can be a self-pleaser. Your barns will never be full. You'll always be wanting something more. The treasures of this world will never satisfy that God-shaped hole inside of you. My encouragement to you today is to be a God-pleaser. Position yourself as a God-pleaser. And you'll receive his wisdom, his knowledge, and his happiness. And maybe today, you realize that your life is focused on pleasing yourself. The pursuit of worldly pleasures. The very first step is to accept the finished work of Christ on the cross. Commit your life to Jesus and align yourself with the work of Holy Spirit. So today I invite you to reposition yourself. Jesus is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. The promise keeper. He is the light in the darkness. What is impossible for you is possible with God. And as I was preparing this, I really felt that I wanted to open an invitation to you if you're in a foggy valley today. Life's not all easy. Perhaps you're in a position like Solomon. Actually, I hate life and I hate my work and it's just all meaningless. God knows. He cares and he understands. I believe that there's something in the spiritual realm that's going to break over you this morning. If when you come, we're going to lift our hands and declare that it is well with my soul. When Spafford penned the following words in a really deep, foggy valley of grief, his eyes must have been fixed on Jesus. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Jesus knows.